and welcome to Movie Go Round, a film discussion podcast that rotates between different themes every week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is You Did This To Us. everybody, I'm Brett Stewart. Joining me on this lovely evening watching a movie that you did to us. Nicole Davis, how are you? Irritated. But <laughs> at least this movie is... Thank you for at least giving us something that is going to be interesting to talk about, I think. If yeah. not enjoyable to watch. <laughs> exactly. Hopefully you have a glass of wine. Just uh, something the. Oh, I have not drunk enough of this yet. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. Very good. David Luzader, how are you? I mean, I'm fine. I watched a collection of music videos. So I, maybe I watched the wrong movie. You know, like yeah. maybe was... You watched a very long MTV music video. <laughs> from which? From like early 2000s. Right. I, I was actually thinking about that. I'm like, is this the 90s? Is this the 2000s? Late it's, 90s. It's, it's late 90s, early 2000s. Like, oh my god, we're, 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 we're losing, we're losing our hold on Smashing Pumpkins and <laughs> <laughs> we're getting uh, holds on Smash Mouth. Exactly. <laughs> Linkin Park's very popular. Oh yep. uh, yeah. All the songs in this movie are covers. We'll get into that. You tried uh, that, so hard. That wonderful disembodied voice, of course, is Corey Scott. Uh, Corey Scott, you were previously on Geek Cinema Society with us, and you are one of the wonderful hosts of the Podcast of Terror that's currently on hiatus, but that's an awesome backlog that everyone should definitely check out. Corey, thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. I what? think. Yeah. I, you. <laughs> so you entered on a, on a difficult week for... for random things here because for viewers context or listeners rather you don't know what we're going to watch just like us you have to be part of the voting and we booked you weeks before the voting even started so you almost watched a, a goodish movie there were there were choices there were decisions that were made yeah. uh i don't know who to blame who to thank but i i feel like it maybe it could have been worse but i don't know how much worse it could have been <laughs> Well, we could have watched the Emoji movie again. There were like 90,000 votes for that God. crap. Yeah. Ugh, never oh again. God. Let's, let's, let's say, because I know the people who voted for it probably aren't listening right now, but just so it's said, once we do a mo- movie <laughs> and you did this to us, it's done. We're not going to do it again. <laughs> I had someone tell me that's a stupid rule. I don't care what you think. It's our rule. We're not doing it again. <laughs> <laughs> it's our show. Get your own podcast if you don't like it. Yeah, everybody else has one. If you want to talk about the emoji movie every week, you can do that. We're not forbid they ever make a sequel. Uh, There's a there's a couple podcasts out there where they break down a film minute by minute. So Mm -hmm. each episode is one minute of the movie. Mm -hmm. Someone needs to do that with the emoji movie. There's no. I wouldn't condemn my worst enemy to that fate. (laughs) There's not enough money in the world. Uh, This was a much more palatable, albeit 
at times frustrating you did this to us pick. For those unfamiliar, this is the opportunity for the audience to go online and vote. The voting usually lasts four or five days, and then you get to pick what movie we're going to watch. This has uh, sprung things on us like the Emoji Movie, like The Bodyguard, all sorts of stuff. And you guys did not disappoint. This time around, you voted for Sucker Punch, the 2011 Zack Snyder does Zack Snydery things. It's very, very mm-hmm. Snydery. It's Peak Snyder. Um, oh my God, Peak Snyder. We're going to get into that. Uh, Baby Doll, a 20 year old. Hold up, before we get there, do you want to introduce next week's movie? Oh my God. Yeah, <laughs> look at me getting ahead of myself. Next week is new right, to right It's the beginning, <laughs> the beginning of a new cycle when we get to cleanse our systems from this. David, you're picking. You get to pick something that neither myself nor Nicole has seen. What are we watching? Uh, yes, we are watching a Steven Soderbergh film, uh, one that neither of you have seen, and a movie that I saw, haven't seen in a long time. I'm very curious to revisit it. It is The Informant. Oh, okay. Okay, a I'm into Matt this. Damon, Starring right? Matt Damon, yep. Okay. And uh, with, with some very interesting bit players. It's a It's a interesting film we'll discuss it next week very cool it's gonna well, be are... another burn after reading man <laughs> no hey burn after reading is like our consistently most listened to episode for some reason why for many great reasons every time i look at our stats i'm like really uh <laughs> not that it wasn't a great movie i loved it so we're watching that next week the informant be sure to watch that and follow along if you would like to but this week it was Sucker Punch, came out in 2011. Baby Doll, a 20-year-old woman unjustly committed to an asylum by her evil stepfather, has five days to escape before the traveling lobotomy technician comes to render her incapable of telling detectives about her stepfather's offenses. To cope with her surroundings, Baby Doll enters a fantasy world in which the asylum is a nightclub that acts as a front for prostitution, drug dealing, other organized crime, and the lobotomist is a high roller coming to see Baby Doll and determine her future. Baby Doll and the other club girls are forced to dance as a way of displaying the quote merchandise to the club's patrons. Each time Baby Doll dances, or we don't see her dance, she enters a different, deeper fantasy world where she gains determination to fight and the clues she needs to escape the club and, by extension, the asylum. Why is that so long? Why is this movie more than, like, 45 minutes? I guarantee Um, you that description is deeper than the handwritten plot that Snyder wrote down on a napkin somewhere. Because... (laughs) It is the longest oh. summary I have ever written for a movie, but I really felt like we needed all of that to be able to, you know, find our way through this movie. <laughs> no, well, I appreciate the, the context for the listener. <laughs> here's the thing: like this, we, we discussed the asylum at great length in this intro here, more so than the movie discusses the asylum. Yes. The asylum is the bookends to this film, but. T- it, it should have been in there more, I think, to give things any to give things more cohesion because well, they're. <sighs> it's kind of like Frankenstein in that way. Nobody remembers the part where he's like out in the Arctic on the ice and runs into the explorer and then what? starts telling the story. They just remember the story in the middle part. Well, I also remember the part where he meets the he meets the blind hermit and then lights himself on fire. I'm also discussing <laughs> Young Frankenstein. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So this movie, I knew we'd get it eventually because when something gets really high on the pole, and this got in second place last time around, it 
tends to be indicative that we're going to get it eventually. Um, yeah. So, and this one came out of nowhere. That's what always surprises me about you did this to us is that, you know, there will be movies that I haven't thought about or even even heard of sometimes in years. And then they just pop up on you did this to us by some unknown, you know, malevolent force that just adds them to this list. Oh, and, but this uh, is a perfect you did this to us movie. This yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Corey, had you seen this before? I had tried to see it before I had put it on and left my own bedroom because <laughs> it was just, it was so off putting that I couldn't even nap to it. I'm like, no, I got to leave. So that's more or less my experience, except I paid to do that. Um, oh. This is the only movie I've ever walked out of. When I was in high school, when this movie came out, I went with a friend and, um, and it was talked up to me. It's like, oh, this is going to be the coolest movie we're ever going to see, which is totally like, like, like on par with what Zack Snyder wants you to think of this movie. And it's the right demo too. Um, and sure enough, I went with a buddy and I could not stand it. I walked out, well, two friends walked out and the other two, me and another buddy went to a different movie in a different theater. I honestly can't remember what, I just know it was better than this. That's because and, you um, didn't actually walk out and go to another theater. You went into a dream. Of right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then my other friend, the one that invited us, stayed and he came back out and said, this is the greatest movie of all time. And oh, wow. he was like a 14-year-old kid. So Okay. Brett, I'm curious. At what point did you say, did you just had had enough and had to leave? I know when it was, rewatching this movie. It was... um. So the movie leads you to believe that you're going to have to watch four, if not five, of these absurd dream cutscenes where, you know, she goes in to get whatever the metaphor is for what the thing is and the previous dream and all that crap. So there's the key and the map and the knife and and her, you know, existential crisis and fire um, and all of those things. And uh, it was the second one um, where I was just like, I can't do five of these. I just can't. They last oh, like man. 45 minutes. I think that yeah, if I'm not mistaken, one goes on forever. If I'm not mistaken, that's the one with the, with the, um, the steampunk German world war one Nazis. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I remember world walking war out during Nazis. that. <laughs> yeah. World war one Germans. <laughs> world war one Nazis. Though. <laughs> Uh, World War One Germans, and that's when I walked out. And now, now seeing it in full, I'm I guess I'm glad that you don't watch five of those. That the fifth one just happens to be like her finding herself or something like that. Well, you also don't um, see the fourth one technically. You right? don't see her. There's not there's not an extensive fantasy where she gets the key. Right, right. And the one where we get the knife is cut short. Yeah. Even though it's not short, it's like twenty minutes of it's still train. it's still very long. It's still very long. Oh my god. This movie is an hour and 50 minutes, and it feels like it's three. Oh, it's <laughs> no. an hour and 50 minutes if you watch the theatrical version. I, right. Yeah, so, <laughs> I so, will anyone say, else watch the extended cut? No. Because no. I did. I will say, though, to this movie's credit, I did not ever feel like... I, I, I mean, I felt like it was running a bit long, but I did definitely checked at one point, and I realized like I was an hour and like 10 minutes in, and I was like, oh, thank God. Like I thought this was going to be a situation where I checked, and it was like 45 minutes in, but no. <laughs> I it, it it's not it doesn't didn't do that to me. Uh Corey, which cut do you did you see if you know? I, I did not see the extended. I I considered it. Uh I will usually throw myself on that grenade for somebody, but uh I just <laughs> I couldn't deem it worth the extra effort. As it was, I couldn't find this movie streaming on anything. 
Prime didn't have it available. They, mm-hmm. they said that it's not available right now to to do anything with uh, Netflix. I looked all through my cable. My wife suggested Shutter. I said, it's not a scary movie. It's just scary that it got made. So <laughs> I, I was just, all right, I'll, I'll do what I have to do. But boy, what a... Nicole, the extended yeah. version... Did they work any plot into it or was it like <laughs> yes. 90% of this where there's nothing? It is, No, it is still a huge hot mess, but it's at least more coherent of a hot mess. The The extended version, I rented this on Vudu, oh. uh, which is one of those mystery services on my smart Blu-ray player. I love Vudu. Um, I'm going to throw that out right now. <laughs> Vudu's the best. That's also where I got mine. But I... Did not so, and they had both versions. So I had my choice of the theatrical or the extended cut, and I thought one of us should probably watch it just to see what was different. And I'm kind of glad I did. It was 17 minutes longer, which was really long. But there is a key piece of information that you get in the extended cut that you don't get in the theatrical. And the key bit is that the high roller is coming to take baby doll's virginity. Yes. Okay. That's the point of his visit. Okay. Cause I was, I reread the plot in, in Wikipedia today and they mention that in there that like he's coming to take her virginity. And I'm like, wait, did I miss that? Did they, I? they wound up editing a lot of the high roller stuff. Like, I guess there was a, there's a whole scene connect. at the end. Yeah. There's supposed to be a sex scene between the two of them, and it was supposed to be very empowering because uh, because all, all these things in this movie are supposed to be empowering, <laughs> right? But because Baby Doll takes control of her sexuality in this scene, and then because of that, they got an R rating. So they the only way they could get her to drop down to a PG thirteen rating was for her to be essentially forced into the sex act by the high roller. And Zack Snyder, to his credit, or at least in his mind. Uh, decided that that wasn't what he wanted to have happen to the character, so he just took the scene out completely. Uh, According to the lead actress. I respect that. I I absolutely respect that in a mass of things that I cannot respect about the rest of the movie. (laughs) Yeah, we just lobotomized her instead. Yeah, no, there's this sort of whole, like, five-minute... John Hamm plays the the high roller, and there's this sort of this five minutes seduction slash discussion uh, baby doll. And the, the crux of it is that supposedly baby doll gets to decide what he wants from her is for her to give herself to him willingly. He doesn't want to force her because he wants, uh, he wants a moment of truth from someone who can't lie, from someone who's not a faker. So they had they had John Hamm. They had yeah. John Hamm acting, and they yeah. decided <laughs> take it all out. Yeah, they had John Ugh. Hamm and Guy Liner. God that's damn the, it! And they took him the, out of the movie. That is the biggest Liner in this movie. Tiny bit. That is the biggest <sighs> offense of this movie is it's that you had thing. you had more John Hamm and you deprived me of it. Yeah, yeah. So John speaking... Hamm and Guy Liner is everything I didn't know I wanted in a movie <laughs> and it was given to me and I was like, Oh, Oh, hey, why was this not in the movie? And it's not a, <laughs> it's not a sex scene. It's like he, it, he gets on top of her. You don't see any of her nude body. You get to see like his chest and his back. And 
you know, that she kisses him passionately. You don't really see anything. I don't understand why they had to take it out. Oh, there's a great documentary. Quick sidebar that I used to be on Netflix. I don't think it is anymore, unfortunately. Uh, This Uh, movie is not yet rated. Yeah, this this film is not yet rated. Uh, If you can track it down, watch it. It is just it really dives into. Uh, when sex is enjoyable, they cut it out of movies or they give mm-hmm. it an NC-17 rating. Right. It's so bizarre. Uh, it's enjoyable really for the woman, though, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. But like, even like, even when sex is like this really passionate thing, like, you know, I don't know if we want to talk about the finer points of like, you can have a really graphic rape scene and still get an R rating. But the second that both people are consensual and enjoying it, it's like, mm, nope, can't have children seeing that. Yeah. But I, I've seen the TV edits of Jason Biggs having sex with a pie and it <laughs> seems to get it long just fine. Um, comparatively. I, I, yeah. I think oh, yeah, w- women's sexuality is denied heavily by the film, right. by the MPAA. It's ridiculous. Yeah, there's a, there's also well we'll we'll get to it when we when we talk about the end of the movie. There's a little yeah. bit that was cut there that's important. And and I like that you mentioned the guy liner because you know Oscar Isaac's wearing a lot of guy liner in this movie too. Oh, the entire and, um, like the entire nightclub slash bordello level, all the guys are wearing guy liner. Right, and and when I was watching this. Um, with my fiance, it, it, that's that's weird to say. Still, um, uh, oh, that's right. Congratulations yeah. to Brad. Thank you. Thank you. Girlfriend. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but when we were watching this, she's like, in my like weird dystopian fantasy, I would not require myself nor those around me to wear this much makeup because um, there is an ungodly amount on everybody. Oh, oh my I, god! No, I did. It's I turned. Wild. I turn to because 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 the the movie is very unclear on whether they are they are you know in the nightclub fantasy the whole time if they're passing between the nightclub fantasy and the asylum they're very vague on that uh, but there was one point where like they were in like training uh, like a, a scene where they'd be exercising and just you know being very casual and I turned to my girlfriend I'm like they are wearing so much makeup like I, this is like. They, like they like they took hours to do this makeup, you know, this perfect oh, yeah. for training. Yeah, they so they are literally the the false eyelashes. The false eyelashes on the, Baby Doll are they, insane. They're insane. They literally on Baby Doll in particular, especially she is made. They're literally like. The lashes on a baby doll's eyes, where you turn it horizontal and the eyes close, and the lashes yeah yeah they go are. down. It's it's creepy, and it's weird, and it's extra creepy that she's wearing those eyelashes and all that makeup in the opening scene where her stepfather is trying to rape her and then trying to rape her sister. So wait, uh, here's one thing I want to talk yeah. about: Does who kills the sister? It's it's the, she it's does. The, no, it's the stepdad. No, the stepdad kills the sister, and then no, by, blames her. she kills her by accident. That's is that made clear in the extended cut? Because in it's the clearer re- in the extended cut, in the regular cut, it seems like he did. He like he bashed her head in before, right? Yeah, it and then like the first being... thing too is that it when they. In the reality, when they take Oscar Isaac's character away, he starts saying that the stepfather is the one that needs to go to jail because of what he did to the sister. 
And so it's supposed to be the comeuppance for both of those characters in the end. And that's why she's smiling is that neither of them finally get away with it. But yeah, I, I, at least from the version that I saw, I got nothing about her being responsible for the sister's death. No, the, the extended cut, when they commit her, they say something about her killing her sister. Right. They say well, and I mean, I know that they're, they're saying that, but I mean, in the, in the extended cut, she fires two shots instead okay. of just one. Oh. And one of them wings the stepdad. Right. And the other one, why would you I believe, cut this? hits her sister. <laughs> and that's part uh, of why she is so distraught. Why would you I, cut such a, I a think, relevant I, scene? I think not having her kill the sister is a, is a stronger move. Exactly. Yeah, I think it, it's, you won't feel the same connection to her innocence being stolen from her in this whole thing and feeling that she doesn't deserve any of this if she actually is responsible for the death of her sister, that's probably why. Exactly. Yeah. And it, it makes out. the, it makes the stepfather far more evil. It puts more layers on top of that cake. And absolutely. I totally agree. So right. but one thing this movie does have going for it is female empowerment. Um, I mean, they, they don't even have names. They're just baby doll and blondie and rocket and sweet pea and, and, um, yeah, I don't, I don't want to put this on Nicole is the only woman on this podcast. Uh, so I'll take it on to myself. There's also Amber. I didn't feel empowered as as a woman <laughs> by this movie once. Uh, if anybody else wants to chime in, sure. But <laughs> no sense of empowerment felt. No. Yeah, no, no. no Nicole uh, put in our docket, you know, this movie tries to make you feel bad about the exploitation of women while, sim- while simultaneously exploiting women. <laughs> it's because it, what they're trying to do is like uh, women taking control of their own sexuality, which it sounds like in the extended cut is something that actually happens, but is never like it's a fallacy in this film of like, ah, they're taking control of their sexuality by being sexy. It's like, that's <laughs> missing the mark (laughs) yeah and it's not being sexy in a way that i'm not gonna say that that no women feel sexy because there are some women who really like you know the more extreme the outfit the better and that is great for them if they want to wear that and they want to rock that good for you go for it but a lot of the women that i know personally and have run into would not find it comfortable to go kick butt in like what's basically like a leotard and thigh high boots or you know a, a skirt that ends just at the base of your ass i i remember <laughs> reading this article about a cosplayer uh female cosplayer and at the end they asked her like what because you've worn all these different materials and made all these different costumes like what would you wear if you were out fighting crime and she was like yoga pants and a sports bra with like a sweatshirt like it wouldn't be sexy but i would be comfortable and first of all i i I can't say that that's not sexy i think seeing somebody who's comfortable in their own skin and being powerful it can be very sexy i i i feel i i understand fetishism is is both in the male point of view and sometimes in the experience of the person who's getting to be fetishized sometimes that is very exciting for them but I don't feel that there's any kind of empowerment or owning your own sexuality when you're put into a situation where you're stuck in a room with this high roller guy and then, oh, yes, I'm giving you the decision to make to have sex with me. But everything leading up to you entering that room and and the powerlessness that you have doesn't mean that you automatically have power when you 
say yes or react that way. It, right. it sounds right. really just shamefully stupid in the <laughs> idea that it's supposed to be empowering for women. Yeah, and what happens if she says no? Right. It's what happens the, next? Well, we, see, we see what happens if she says no. When when the madame um, says no to, to Blue. Can, can we... Can we talk about how the most offensive thing in this movie is Carla Gugino's uh, uh, accent? She falls out uh, of it. She falls out of it like three or four times. It's so uh, inconsistent. It's so painful. Poor Carla. Oh, in the extended cut, you know that the love is the drug number that's over the credits mm-hmm. in the theatrical cut? They show the whole number okay. along with a you know girls getting ready montage. Uh, during the extended <sighs> version. Does that mean there's actual dancing in the film at that point? Because I was... There is. During that, the we don't see any dancing the at all. that there is no yeah. dancing in this movie at all is annoying. Well, <laughs> and it's, it's not even it's that there's no dancing. Not, she just awkwardly sways back and forth for a couple seconds until the editor realizes yeah. he's supposed to cut to the next part. Yeah, no, this is still not really dancing. You know, they do the whole love is a drug number and uh, Oscar Isaac and Carla Gugino dance with each other um, into it. But the it shows a montage of like each of the girls doing their burlesque number that sort of shows off their personality. Like the final credits of the Street Fighter movie where everybody does their final moves uh, at the end of the movie. But they didn't do in the movie at all. So this is, hey, we made you think that these were all dancers. Um, So here's something. Right. Yeah. Blondie's like an Indian sword dancer. Uh. Uh, Sweet Pea's Joan of Arc. Um, Rocket's a naughty nurse. I forget what the other. Well, Jenna Malone is a naughty nurse. Hold on. I have to go read the extended version. (laughs) (laughs) You've got my attention. So, I mean, I love Jenna Malone. She is. She's trying here. Oh, I love she's Jenna Malone. Not at her strongest, but not, she's well, trying not here. Not given a whole lot to work with in this movie. No, and uh, I have to say, I find her sexier in the Hunger Games movies than in. And I, oh yeah, I will say I love Jenna Malone, uh, but even she could not save the Neon Demon. No. Oh God! Please stop talking <laughs> about it. We're going to end up with it, and I just can't do that. I can't go down that road. Uh, but I can't the, go down um, that road again. <laughs> but yeah, what Brett was saying about the, I, I did want to talk about the baby doll dancing when she goes into like a deeper level of fantasy which all you ever see is like the music starts and she sort of rocks a little bit side to side with her mouth open just a little bit yeah she goes like this catatonic state like closes her eyes yeah like she's going into some sort of hypnotic state and when she comes out of it she has apparently been amazing And everybody is blown away. No one will look at anything that you're doing while I'm dancing is the (laughs) determination that she makes from one dance one time when she doesn't even recognize what she did. Right. So here's 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 a a rule uh, in in improv. And I think this rule also carries over to um, to filmmaking in a lot of ways. Not showing something is not as powerful as you think it is being vague. (laughs) Being vague never works. Uh, you sit there and you're like, oh, you're talking about how great this thing is, but you never name the thing. That's not clever. That's actually really lazy. I, it, pulp, you know, we can discuss the merits of not saying what's in the se- the briefcase in Pulp Fiction all you want. I, I think it, you know, we should have just told what was in the damn briefcase. Uh, <laughs> or late the hints. 
Huh? Well, yeah, yeah. You get you get hints, but just like, but just talking about a thing is never as interesting as seeing a thing. Like, that's a that's a cardinal rule of storytelling: show, don't tell. Yeah, they're telling was, us her dancing is amazing. They're never showing us that her dancing is amazing. Right. This this was actually done a lot more effectively by Tarantino in uh, Death Proof, mm. where you know one of the girls makes a bet with the driver, played by. Um, Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell and she has to give him a lap dance and she starts it so you see some of it and it's enough for you to get really into it and if you're not watching the extended version it suddenly cuts out as if yeah. it's been burned well, and it, it, says, it says footage not found or something like it's a right. whole gag of that version. right it's a, it's a gag that the the footage is you know the sexiest footage in the movie is missing yeah but you get enough so that you understand that, yeah, this really would have been good. If, <laughs> if they had shortened the fantasy sequences, uh, actually had her dancing and interspersed that with kind of like what's going on, and then also shown the real life heists going on to sort of parallel with what was happening. In because also, also, she was like, okay. I'm going to distract them while you get the thing. But then in the fantasy sequences, it's always baby doll getting the thing. Mm-hmm. It's never these other characters shining. And if they had like presented a way for these characters to shine in those sequences and show them stealing the thing while she's distracting them, like would have made these sequences so much stronger. Also the, apparently there was just, tons of training that went into the actresses in this for the fight scenes. Like they would spend hours studying all these different, probably wire work and, and Krog Magal just make up a word. Uh, and there's an opportunity to then maybe have them train to dance. When you have actresses, I'm, I'm pretty sure Vanessa Hutchins knows how to dance uh, yeah. really well and could have at least done, been that one example in the movie. I don't know about the other actresses abilities, but to just not do it at all, but have them train for fight scenes where they're fighting non-existing entities the entire time. That it's just ridiculous. I, I just don't understand how you can conceptually say this is the part that's important when all those scenes, the fantasy scenes, could be cut out of the film and the film makes the exact same amount of sense as it does without them. They could have been edited down. That's for damn sure. <laughs> There's not a single plot thing that happens in those fantasy things that matters because the plot is the the dressing around it. And those scenes don't really equivalent to what we're supposed to be seeing. So it's like, hey, we're going to steal the map. We're not going to show you we're stealing the map. We're just going right. to show you all this great yeah. visual stuff that has nothing to do with it. And then we'll say we stole the map. So you could just say, we're going to steal the map. And then the next scene, we stole the map. Right. Uh, yeah, no, 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 we would not have the, the sage wisdom of the wise man. Uh, Scott Glenn. Yeah, Scott Glenn <laughs> shows up in this movie for quotes. He does one absurd quote per sequence. I, there's, if you don't stand for something, so you'll fall for anything. Um, for those who fight for it, life has a flavor the shelter doesn't, will never know. And then my personal favorite don't ever write a check with your mouth that you can't cash with your cash ass. Cash with your ass. Oh, I really love the Sphinx in Mystery Men, and that's who this was. Right. It, it, the Sphinx was the the joke about the cliche, and then it's like, hey, that cliche was awesome. Let's do that again. It, see, what a like, colossal waste of Scott Glenn. There, oh. There's so many interesting ideas that just are poorly handled. Like I think that wise man... Being played by Scott Glenn, 
a really I get you could there's a lot you could have done there and you know Marvel eventually did with him playing stick it just was a waste I mean it's kind of cool that he's at he's at the very end of the movie in reality as the bus driver that's gonna save Sweet Pea um sure but is it reality yeah we'll get there okay (laughs) um (laughs) well i mean the very opening of the movie the movie starts with the production logo projected on curtains that are played back on the opening scene right yeah i mean so one thing i want to go back to briefly as long as we're talking about the dancing in this movie i also want to touch on the music in this movie um this is the soapbox i want to die on this episode because (laughs) i have never been more angry at music in a movie um you have songs that are good songs. You have songs yeah. written, you know, by the Pixies and Annie Lennox and and the Smiths and Bjork's in here a lot for some reason. Um, Jefferson Airplane, the Beatles, Brian Ferry's at the end, Low is the Drug. And guess what? We hear them performed by none of them. Instead, we just hear shitty karaoke versions. <laughs> and they're well, some not- of them were Emily Browning, right? So- yes. Some of them were, yes. Now, but most of them, for example, like Search and Destroy, great Iggy Pop song. How about we have it performed by Skunk Anansi? Because everyone knows who that is. Um, or <laughs> Marius DeVries and Tyler Bates instead of, I don't know, Brian Ferry for Love is the Drug. This absolutely... Uh, no, the worst one, the worst ones is the... 20 minute long tomorrow never knows that only ever plays the chorus of tomorrow never knows Uh, because it's the only thing people might know because it's kind of a weird song um oh my god (laughs) who let this happen cover is bad it's bad the where's my mind cover is bad the sweet dreams cover is bad like here's the thing if you're gonna put sweet dreams in there and i realize they had emily browning sing it sure whatever like why not make it a decent cover of it like marilyn manson's is better than that and that's not even a great cover i don't know i I actually kind of I I will defend Emily Browning's okay. cover of Sweet Dreams. I kind of like it. I think it's effective for what they're doing at the beginning of the movie. Oh, yeah. oh the beginning of this it movie is actually tone. really sure. well yeah, done. That's, right. I, I, that's the better one of the bunch. And I, and, and for some and, reason, Bjork is the only person that wrote the songs that is allowed to sing them. And like, I also yeah, don't and get I it. Will definitely. I will absolutely go to bat for Bjork. You will not find a more empowering song than Army of Me. I can't go over like how many times I listened to that while I was getting divorced. Bjork Bjork is great. And what I don't understand is that that you've already paid the licensing rights uh, to have all these songs in your movie. It was definitely a stylistic choice for them to decide, why don't we take a Beatles song, remove Paul and John from it singing, and make it something skunk a like isn't it less expensive to put in a cover version than the original no that's true you you do have to you have to pay licensing and then you have to pay performance rights on top of that if you do but i it's like at that point like just stop i think it's stylistic because i remember you know reading articles about this in prep for the show they were talking about how like the whole idea here was that instead of having grace Lick sing a jefferson's airplane song you know now white rabbit is done by a hard rocking group and it's like that's not good that's just i not think they're trying good. to go for a tonal match throughout the thing they wanted the, right. the tone of the songs to all kind of line up with each Which, other exactly i think they could have done with better covers yeah, no it, it, it was giving me an, an a lobotomy Okay, that's how I yeah. felt watching and this I mean, movie. At, at one point, I don't remember what song it was that they're doing over the 
uh, the alien planet where they have to defuse the bomb on the train. <laughs> that is but tomorrow never knows. Really, yeah, it, well, it's it, it's this really like hard rocking version of it, mm-hmm. and that seems like a really improbable song to try to do a sexy <laughs> dance to to distract the horrible cook oh, while so they're stealing weird. a knife from him. <laughs> It's so bizarre, and like the the weird like mashup of of We Will Rock You and I Want It All. That it's just oh, what is going on in this movie? Yeah. Um. All right, soapbox. I have stepped down. Uh, Zack Snyder. Zack Snyder is going on in this movie. He's oh going all God. over this movie. I feel. I feel like I'd be so disappointed if I saw like his Spotify playlist. God knows what's on it. Um. Probably. Probably the, the soundtrack. Okay, um, let's talk about hey, something he had else. One of the best uses of a Bob Dylan song in any movie, though. What was that? Not in this movie. Oh, uh, times are changing Watchmen. in um, Watchmen. Yeah, yeah, yeah I would do it. But th- didn't he also then have the um, My Chemical Romance doing My D- Desolation Row on that? Uh, it's been a long time. Yeah, that, <laughs> that just over the credits at least. Yeah, that that hurts me. Uh, so <laughs> one of my questions is. I have two questions about her escapism in her reality. The first one is, and I realize I'm getting way more into this movie than necessary. Um, this takes place feasibly sometime between like the thirties and the fifties, sometime after at least world war one. Like it, it's not really very clear. Um, how is she fantasizing about a lot of the stuff that's in her imagination here? There's so much stuff way beyond anything she would know about. Like oh, way what? beyond fantasy. No, but she's she's like she's like orcs and castles. No, like 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 guys in giant like mech suits and stuff and yeah, sophisticated robots. Yeah, sci-fi existed back then, dude. I guess. And then robots were very big in the fifties, man. All right. Yeah. And then and you think this twenty-year-old girl who's been cooped up by her stepfather and sexually abused her entire life with her young sister and whose entire world is being protected by her mom has been. Reading a bunch of pulp novels. Yeah, I don't know if she's it, it, brushed up on a shirt. Okay, Dick. <laughs> yeah, and and we we see the state of the radio that they use in the kitchen. So I'm not sure what the tech was. I don't know that she's getting to see a lot of movies or anything to build up these visuals. And she's a creative genius, uh, which means that she's way too good to be in this movie. I mean, like here's the, we don't we don't know anything about her life before, right? And that's one right. of the problems about it. So like that's. Well, is it really a problem or is it just a thing that we can be like, okay, whatever, she's a, a nerd. Cool. Sure. No, that's that's one of my biggest problems with the movies is you you have no idea who she is. Who well, is you don't know who any of these characters are no, as human you don't, beings. Baby doll in particular, because she <laughs> for the first like third of the movie she barely says anything. She doesn't talk for doll. like forty five minutes. Yeah. And she never changes facial expressions. She's a literal doll. That is the fetishism of that character is that she is a literal doll. In a Japanese schoolgirl outfit. And and when it finishes up, she's got no mind left. So she's still just a doll. She's basically, it's it's a a real doll situation is what's supposed to be in this whole thing. The never changing facial expressions is an Emily Browning thing. (laughs) <laughs> as much as it is anything else yeah yeah and then the other thing i was confused about with these these um vision not visions these like imaginative dreams of hers are um why is her escapism reality where she's supposed to be super empowered and feel better about herself from her horrible reality she's currently in is just a different horrible reality in which she she is a sex slave 
Well, it's because they're they're telling us the story of what happened in a different way than showing her in an asylum. No, but like, right? But it's that's her it's all imagination because they're still being abused by the hospital staff. I, well, that, I guess. that's another question too. The hospital situation we don't see really any of it we know yeah, that we, we should see that, more of it but do we know if rocket or uh blondie or i i can't remember amber, amber if they amber. exist in the hospital situation they'd say that in that week she attacked one of the orderlies and we find out that exactly what that is so she stabs um blue yeah but do the other girls would they there did they exist they wind up getting killed uh well because in the the beginning they're like break up a fight between some of them um and i thought like vanessa hudgens was there i don't know i mean and then it's alluded to of course that she did help somebody escape which is supposed to be sweet pea um yeah well yeah she did help someone escape you're right but that that means that his sister was killed that week you know in the escape they don't say anything about these three other girls were killed what, right. before we, we, it's just very <laughs> strange because the stories don't add up and I'm still not sure what any of the parts and pieces that she's supposed to be gathering have to do with an escape plan. Well, okay. They need the, they needed the fire to create a distraction. They needed like the map to get a way out and they needed like the key to be able to get out of there. Sure. But we, yeah, come on, they're pretty. They're pretty clear on it in the movie. They no, do. No, they are. I don't know if it's a good Eventually, escape plan. Eventually, but I mean, the uh, one of, uh, I mean, it it seems ridiculous to say that I had to suspend my disbelief for one part in particular of this movie <laughs> over another. Um, but she's baby doll tells them, you know. She, she, there's this scene where she gets up in front of the, the chalkboard and, you know, says, you know, I, I have a plan to escape. We need these four things. She never tells them why they need those things. Right. How they're going to get those things. What's going to happen once they have those things. We, she just tells them we're, we're going to get these things and we're going to get out. And I, somehow I, I, everybody comes around and decides to join her and help her out. I uh, yeah, I mean that I thought that was insane. Everybody's like, "Sure, new girl, you have a great idea." Uh, also, we don't we it's four items. We shouldn't memorize that. We should leave it written up somewhere to be discovered at a key moment. Uh, <laughs> but I felt like there was some point where she did like explain to them like, "Here's what we're gonna do with the things." I don't know. I'm not gonna th- go too far in defending this movie. I might be remembering this wrong. The Hudsucker proxy was that the one with uh, Tim Robbins where he invents a hula hoop. Yes. I believe so, yes. So he keeps showing a picture of a circle on a piece of paper to everybody and saying, you know, for kids. And that's what that list of things was. Like, <laughs> hey, here's these four words and a mystery fifth thing that I'm not telling you about because I don't know what it is yet, but it'll make sense when that happens. It'll come to me. <laughs> for kids. Well, but also, I mean, also, I think she, I think in the actual, uh, plan itself that she did i think she did a lot of this acting on her own um in getting those things and enacting the plan 
more than anything. I don't know. That's the problem. We don't see a lot of stuff in the asylum, and we should have seen way yeah. more of the asylum. She's she's the distraction, while other people get them. Only in the fantasy is she the person directly getting whatever uh, but item here, but it is. The thing is, though, that like how much uh, what, what parallels are there exactly in the asylum and in the fake fantasy brothel? Like we don't know how much of that is relating up because we never see. Yeah, I think this ties directly into one of David's comments, which is, you know, we're in a fantasy, (laughs) which there are further fantasies within. Uh, Does this multi-layered storytelling enhance the film or muddle it? Almost certainly muddles it it because it doesn't make it clear, right? Like it's pulling Inception-like vibes without being as detailed and detail-oriented, sure, without being detail-oriented like Inception is. At no point in Inception are you thinking like, there's a plot hole at this level because of what's, I mean, sure. Maybe like you guys get what I'm saying. Like inception covers its bases in terms of you understanding what level is what and why they are there. And inception gives you such clear visual cues of here's where we're at. Here's what's happening. Right. And this movie does not give you that at any point. No, no, no. And I mean, I, I think you're definitely correct that this would have benefited hugely from cross cutting between the asylum uh, or the the nightclub level and the fantasy levels you know show us the parallels they're doing this in the fantasy and this is what's happening in reality agreed and so this is just lazy editing what i what i said earlier about the you can chop up all the the fight fantasy scenes and everything and it makes the same amount of sense without them if you're talking about the asylum itself, you can just chop out everything in the middle and here she shows up in the asylum and then here she's lobotomized and someone else gets away because it makes the same amount of sense at the end because none of that stuff that she fantasized about really meant anything. It, at most, we know that she stole a knife from some guy who looked like the cook to stab the guy who was going to rape her and uh. in doing so allowed another person to get away but we have no context of who that person actually was in the sense of the asylum versus who she was in the sense of the fantasy of the, the brothel. She definitely stole that lighter as well. I mean, she did start a fire, <laughs> which apparently like let's she murdered a baby dragon in her fantasy. And they had to do the thing where it's like the yeah, mom. Recognizes dragon. What did it do? To is dead. I know I was so <laughs> upset. Uh, so this has been called a modern day Alice in Wonderland. Can someone tell me what Bye. this fable is supposed to be teaching us? A question from Corey. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't have an answer for you. Alice in Wonderland has a point. Hate yeah. Alice in Wonderland so much. Well, but but it has a point, right? Like whereas, like this, nobody wins. Does it? No, but like nobody. <laughs> What's the point of Alice in Wonderland? Oh, there's not a point. I guess not. No, I yeah, like I I I have also read those books, which makes the Tim Burton one really confusing. Why they're all like, "Oh, Alice, you're here," because everybody in those books are massive dicks, to Alice. Uh, <laughs> yeah, not gonna go on that tangent for a moment. Uh, like I don't know. Like I'm just I just the more I'm like getting worked up about this movie, the more I want to go take a nap. Yeah, yeah. No, I guess you're right. I also, Wonderland kind of is a. a a book and movie w- without a moral. It's a but, bunch of jumbled scenes with just one person running through them. So I right. can see why that, why this is called a, a, <laughs> an Alice in Wonderland esque film. But that's exactly it. And and Alice in Wonderland is always 
emulated. It's one of those things that constantly everybody wants to do their version of Alice in Wonderland. And everyone who does at least tries to give it a through plot um, when, the, when they're not just doing an adaptation of the book, when they're trying to make it a game, when they're trying to make it other things, when they're uh, throwing it in a comic series, they oh, like- try to give it some reason for existing and, and have a, a reason for it happening. Like for some reason she's like a legendary hero that has to fight the Jabberwocky. I right. can't I can't stress enough how terrible that movie is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I no, no, you're right. You're totally right. And and also I think one of the things that separates this certainly from Alice in Wonderland is that like Alice in Wonderland isn't a bunch of disconnected vignettes. Like she's in Wonderland. Like different things happen to her there, but there's kind of a through line of like, I'm in Wonderland. I kind of want to leave Wonderland. Well, that's um, this. This is, I want freedom. Right. But, but it doesn't do it inside of one world building area. It's just like a bunch of, I mean, I guess the, some of like the second and the third visions or dreams are kind of connected because they're in the same outfits and they still have the same like Vietnam era war colonel. Like it's very confusing. I just don't yeah. know. That. I just don't know. So can we talk about the fact where Snyder came from because he was a a music video director that <laughs> did the Frank Miller movie 300. So had someone else writing a story and then he did this where he was the writer of the story. His co-writer I think did assistant production on some 80s horror movie. I don't know what else he's done at all. I didn't see anything really beyond this. So I think it was really a conversation like, I think I like to do the stuff where chicks dance around and kill giant monsters and stuff. And that sounds cool. Yeah, that sounds cool. Thanks. I'm going to give you credit on this. Yeah. But everything else that Snyder has done has been like things that he has seen from the Superman Batman fight in the Dark Knight uh, comic series by Frank Miller. And he's like, I really want to do that. Well, they just made a Dark Knight movie. Well, then we'll just do Superman versus Batman, even if it makes no sense. Uh, Man of Steel, I'm going to make Clark a Christ figure, because why not? Uh, hold up, he didn't make, no, every writer for the last 12, 10 decades has made Clark a Christ figure. I don't know that I agree read, with that. <laughs> read Kingdom Come! Read Kingdom Come and tell me he's not Jesus. Yeah, again, like a miniseries with Alex Ross painting it, you look at it and you can tell Snyder comes at things from a visual standpoint. And from a visual standpoint, yeah. he's incredible. Also, uh, also, Superman Returns. He's a Christ figure. Yeah, that's weird too. Yeah, yeah. No, one thing, one thing I will say, I'll throw, I'll throw this out there. I know a reason a lot of people have issues with something like Man of Steel. Not to make it a Man of Steel conversation, is because I've never seen Superman quite devastate a city like that. <laughs> I've never seen Superman kill that many innocent people. <laughs> um, in any case, though, but that's that's the thing is that you have these giant powerful characters or and Snyder's thing is all about the focus of power and the mm-hmm. way that Superman moves and the way that Wonder Woman moves in Batman versus Superman when he's directing these things is very much the same moves that he's done since this and before this 300 it's that like heavy strike slow movement so you feel the impact deeper but it's all the same visual effect and that's that's how his mind works is I think he's looked at comics so long and he's only got the visual from comics he's never gotten the story of comics and maybe that's yeah. a 90s comic reader well, thing uh, and it's but also I, I think that's that's something to be said that can be great about that 
I just want to see him work with somebody who can bring that story to it as well. Yeah, it's it's also David S. Goyer should not be allowed near superhero films Word. anymore. We, <laughs> yeah. We need to, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think I think that's been a bigger problem than a lot of things. But yeah. But no, it, I definitely agree that Snyder is I think he's a fantastic visual director. I yeah. think he's got a beautiful visual sense. He's got this thing that he really likes to do where he slows people down in the, the moments before impact shows you the impact at speed and then slows it down afterwards. So you can see like every little effect of what has just happened from this strike. So you get a tremendous impression of power from this sort of thing. Plus you get to savor all the little stuff that's going on as a, re- as a result of what's going of what's just happened. And, you know, and I sat there, I was one of those people. I went to see 300 and I sat there and I was like, that's really cool. You know, yeah, also, wow, those guys cool are really movie. hot. They yeah. look like they're in pain. They have been working out so much. Mm-hmm. It hurts to look at them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just but like, did you but see that, 300 Rise of an Empire? Because that uh, was some great oh A-bad movie making. Anonymous gym rat neckbeard guy as the lead. It's just an Eva Green. Yes, and... uh, Sullivan Stapleton. Okay, is that the name of the guy? Yeah, okay. I, had, I had the page up. Sullivan Stapleton. But the Welcome to Stapleton. I have not committed that to memory. <laughs> the Snyder's move that we're talking about, though, that, that visual thing that he does, that's his yeah. bullet time. Yes. Mm-hmm. In the Matrix. And so do we take it that he's like, he's the Matrix director now? He's the the Wachowskis or is it we go back to Lucas doing the prequels and the fact that there's all these people that are talking to things that don't exist and it feels very artificial because there's nobody for those actors to interact with it cuts into what their ability is to act because there's nothing around them who do we blame for this style of style over substance over writing and that's that's the thing is that those movies are all hits you know, the Matrix, yeah. the first one had a great story, but it's still, it's so much style. That's what made it a hit. So I don't blame Snyder for deciding I'm going to make a movie that's all style because that sells. That's Bay's Transformers movies. I was about to say that yeah, that's right. pre-Transformers. Bay might be some of the origin in that from a directorial point of yeah. view. I mean, you got 90s Bay. You have I mean, Armageddon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've never been able to make sense of the Bad Boys movies. From a purely financial standpoint, there's no impetus to make any changes because what he's doing is working financially. What he does sells tickets at the box office, no matter how terrible the critical reviews may get. But I kind of hope that he that he does take the same path as the Wachowskis where, you know, there was this tremendous hits and then this fall off. Because they were going just for, you know, style and the story was got very muddled in places. And I'm I'm wondering if maybe someday we'll all go back and, you know, agree that and I'm not saying where I fall one way or the other, but we'll all go back and agree that Cloud Atlas is a masterpiece of some kind <laughs> or um, you know, whatever whatever else they've been making. But they have come around now in making Sensate, which yeah. I think is a work of absolute genius i but think it's also because they worked with a writer story. they worked with Straczynski. Uh, jay michael Straczynski, yeah 
Yeah, really. and they've done a f- and they came out with something beautiful and fantastic and they did a wonderful job directing and you know so it, I'm kind of hoping that maybe if Zack Snyder's next works don't do as well financially that maybe he'll he'll find a way to come around to a well, place of greater creativity and I mean his, I I wish him well I know he's had tremendous personal tragedy yeah. his his next thing is a I believe it's I believe it's direct to streaming it's Army of the Dead um, so he's returning to his zombie roots, and I did. Okay. I did want to like say that I am very curious, and I want to phrase this very carefully. I'm very curious to see if the personal tragedy that Zack Snyder has experienced has any effect on his directing. Not saying that it will, but I think it'd be really hard if it didn't, uh, or it'd be really like it, it'd be. I would think it would affect everything. I, I, yeah, you know? I would think it would affect yeah. us. So I'm very curious not in like a a predatory like oh what's what's he gonna do now but in just of like a a some uh, of a somebody who really enjoys film and and directors and their styles to see who he is now in this i imagine very massive turning point in his life and for people who don't know um i'll save you the google his daughter uh killed herself a couple of years ago and it was very obviously very difficult on him and he's been pretty out of the limelight since then yeah that's also what caused him to uh step out during post-production with justice league um mm-hmm. so yeah joss whedon right with joss whedon coming away. in though one thing that concerns me about he this movie to, to bring it back briefly a sucker punch is uh this was produced by his wife and uh and so is everything else he's done right i'm like yeah no i guess what bothers me is that there was a woman in the room (laughs) like at no point (laughs) she didn't call him on no point was she like hey zach i don't know about this you know know what it's there are what i will just say that white women are a huge part of the reason that our current government is the way it is Um, that some, you know, that a lot of women were brought up in such a way as to believe that the status quo is the way things should be. And they're willing to maybe not necessarily willing to enforce it, but they're willing to stay out of the way when other people do. Also, let's, let's not take away from the fact that it could just be, that's her style too. That's what she liked. It might be. That's that's fair. That's fair. Now, first, First comic shop I managed, uh, Rob Liefeld was already kind of the you know poster boy of he he done his five hundred one jeans commercials and everything and uh, he was kind of falling out with his image stuff because he kept fighting with the other uh, owners of the company. We had one customer who loved Liefeld stuff and bought everything Liefeld did, and it was a young lady, and she she did art and everything and she was just so into his stuff and you could see why some guy her age would be into Liefeld. But the fact that it was a girl I thought was very interesting because it was just unexpected. And but that's because be, we're critical of it. Yeah. And to be clear for, th- for those who don't know, he tends to draw women with, you know, wasp waists and he, he's never drawn that would normally require tremendous amounts of like cantilevering and like 
you know, steel cables right. and things to hold things. He's in never place. drawn a, a correctly proportional human being in his life, uh, <laughs> but it's a very egregious of, of women. But I, I just have to ask Corey, did you ever uh, tie this person up and take off their mask to reveal they were Rob Liefeld in disguise? Because that's, <laughs> That seems to be what was happening. Yeah, no, I don't I, think I, you should pry into Corey's sex life. You no, know, no, that's true. Hey, but if we learned anything from this movie, you do you. Oh. She was she was a girl in a comic shop. She was already the coolest person around. Um, yeah. <laughs> but no, it, that's the thing is one. I love Rob as a person. I love Rob as a family man. Uh, mm-hmm. I appreciate Rob's enthusiasm, and obviously he's had great success because he created Deadpool. He created Cable. He's created some of the most successful comic characters that have made it into films now um guys done just fine so for all the things that we could tear him down about it doesn't matter because he laughs it off he's just like sure yeah i i make some art that's very questionable as to whether or not it's good yeah but i'm doing all right he he created deadpool but not deadpool as we know him anyway right no yeah (laughs) absolutely but but that's the thing he's still getting hired by marvel to do stuff Oh, yeah, yeah, not for sure. So I want to move us to our last couple discussion topics very briefly so we don't run too long. Uh, the first one is uh, Emily Browning's career just just kind of as a whole has gone in very weird directions. It's very weird. I was looking at just some of her movies today and the, the, the Wikipedia descriptions. A lot of them opened with romantic such and such or erotic such and such. Yeah, her her follow up right after this, uh, which I have seen What's in point of fact, she plays a sex yeah. worker who sleeps. It's called Sleeping it's, Beauty, and they, she you know drinks this sedative tea, and while she's asleep, men do things to her. Men have sex with her. It was the and, sequel to her character. But in she that. never knows for sure what is right, happening. Well, exactly. She wakes up. Oh my goodness! See, I well, and yet, and it's also she is she has like consented to this. In the yes, movie. yeah, she has. She is not enslaved to this. Right. She has decided to do this as her work. Yeah, right. So, so the stuff I'm most familiar with her from. Is there, you know, I remember seeing her when she was super young. She was Violet in Series of Unfortunate Events. Um, not not a great movie. Uh, but then also. <laughs> I saw her most recently in in a I I love bad movies when they're bad and fun because they're bad. Um that's definitely a guilty pleasure of mine and I definitely have a special love for Pompeii. That movie is hot garbage. I mean, you have <laughs> yeah. Kit Harrington, Keith or Sutherland, like it is really just a dumpster fire of epic proportions. I don't mean that as a pun on Pompeii. But um it's <laughs> It's bad. She's in that one too, and then it's not great. Uh, She's also in American Gods. American Gods. Okay. Yep. All right. Um, is that is that supposed to be any good? I've heard very mixed things about that. Uh, the first season. The first season is very interesting. I'll be curious okay. to see where they take it. All right. It, it does a lot of brave things. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and and it's certainly based off of an excellent book. Right. Neil Gaiman's um, great. He does some very interesting stuff. Yeah. Yeah. They take some. Interesting liberties with the source material. Interesting. Yeah. All right, I'm going to ask you about it after we're done recording here. Yeah. So I got. I have questions. <laughs> All right. Now, <laughs> but but do you think do you think someone came to her and said, "Hey, we know you you've just done Sucker Punch, and we know what the character's about. What we have is um the the payoff for the fans of that character <laughs> and arc. Um, 
can you come over and do essentially the same thing, except let's tune it up to that R level, because that's essentially what that movie is. Well, I, I would imagine they were actually probably filmed around the same. T- I mean, they both came out in 2011. Uh, yeah, but I, I imagine the production just... on Sucker Punch probably would have taken longer. Yeah, yeah. it's very uh, produced. <laughs> I will certainly I say mean, that. Yeah, they only came out a, a few months apart. Uh, it's just a whole weird. Right. And then the last thing we'll close on two more things. First of all, Oscar Isaac in this movie. Is he any good? Does he look too much like Jake Johnson? <laughs> as, uh, he looks like Jake Johnson. As, as Corey Plunardocket. He, he kind of does in this movie. This movie, I have said, and I have said this on every podcast I've been on, make Oscar Isaac Gomez Adams, you coward. <laughs> Not just the voice. Yeah. Make him live yeah. action Gomez Adams. And this movie has him in a Gomez Adams mustache. And I'm like, God dang it. We got so <laughs> close. But then we I, now know what Zack Snyder's Adams family would be because he he basically would make the same character actual Gomez Adams. Weirdly, I'd well, you know, I I think get a different writer on there and have him direct a a, uh, a an Adams family movie, and I'd watch it because that would be I, interesting. Yeah, I I love Oscar Isaac, but I have come to realize that he is not always great How dare he is you? always How making choices and i will you? give him credit for that he is making choices in his acting no matter what the role is he's he's going for whatever he's decided on but uh he's he's not always good this but is sometimes so- he is fan- he sometimes he's transcendently good like ex machina is amazing yeah so this movie he's is fantastic a- in that yeah movie. This movie's a few, I and mean, this movie is early Oscar Isaac, like before Inside Llewellyn Davis, uh, before Ex Machina, yeah. obviously, yeah, before Star uh, Star Wars, and it's just it's so. I was listening to another podcast that discussed this, and they don't know who Oscar Isaac is at that point, and they're just talking about him in like very. They kept calling him like Nicholas Cage in this movie. Oh, no, <laughs> they say he's Ooh. acting like Nicholas Cage. I could, well, I could see Nicholas Cage doing this part. Oh my god! I yeah, know. I thought I, thought I could see him just some- eating it up. I thought he had some genuinely like, oh, it, it's a genuinely well acted moment. Yeah, and he's one of those actors. I, I am doing the creep, right? Yeah, he's he's a very effective creepy guy in this. Yeah, he's one of those yeah. actors that he's just you know that kid's gonna go places after being in the Star Wars because you know <laughs> now we have you know we have confirmation that he will be in Dennis Vanilla Vanilla's uh, Dune you know adaptation um oh and then everybody's right though so and then also you know most recently in the last couple days of since we've recorded this the director that's been attached to the um the metal gear solid movie it was discovered that he had commissioned um story art with oscar isaac's likeness as solid snake um hold up and then also oscar isaac how tall is solid snake supposed to be i don't know but then uh, but then oscar Uh, isaac average height. height He's supposed to be like uh, an average Oscar child. Isaac is a is not a tall man. Right, but then, but then throwing <laughs> well, it out no. there, he said, "I'm throwing my hat in for that one." Um, in re- in response to it, so like he he wants it and he yeah. looks the well, part. That's, that's because yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't go, yeah. I can't get hung up too much on height. I mean, I was mad at first when Hugh Jackman was cast as Wolverine because I'm like, mm-hmm. that guy's over six feet tall. He's much too big to be Wolverine. <laughs> well, but and also, then, Wolverine you know, is like five two. And then he killed right. it. You know, right? So. It, I I shouldn't get hung but up I, on But I I could totally see him as Solid Snake. It was one of those casting things where it was like the second I I read it I was like, "Oh yeah." 
if you're not gonna, but if you're not gonna have David Hayter dub in the voice, what are we doing? <laughs> uh, I could totally see him sneaking around in a box. Uh, and then lastly, our last discussion topic, there's other works that are certainly homaged here. David Fincher's Janie's Got a Gun video or song ever. Uh, Lady Blood Snow slash Kill Bill. Any manga featuring Lady Snowblood. Snowblood, Blood Snow. Uh, any manga featuring Japanese girls, Pan's Labyrinth, Hellboy, iRobot, The Running Man, Inception, Thelma and Louise, uh, Jinro. Yeah, there's a lot that is better than this that he liked and tried to use. So... Uh, Certainly. The Jane's got a gun thing. What is the connection there? It's the whole, the entire opening, opening. of this movie is the Janie's got a gun video. They should have just used that song. Are you serious? Yeah. It's, oh. yeah, it's, it's the, the, in that video, it's a girl whose father or stepfather is abusive toward her and she finally gets a gun and kills him and runs away. Right, like, oh so. man, I guess I've never decided to have to pay attention to all four and a half minutes of that to watch a video. Well, of it. I mean, it was directed by David Fincher. You probably should. Well, It'd I be should. interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, that's fascinating. And you're totally right. I think, you know, when I saw some of the stuff you threw in here, especially in regard to like Pan's Labyrinth and Hellboy, like uh, aesthetically, most certainly. Um, Thelma and Louise, I thought yeah. was an interesting. Especially with the color desaturation yeah, in places. Yeah. With- do you think that he went to Aerosmith and said, I want to do this? <laughs> This I want the, the song for this movie, but we want uh, Emily Browning to sing it and call it "Baby's Got a Gun." Uh, and and Stephen Chow is like, ah! and just like, we're no. having we're having so someone who calls himself you, you, Skunk cover it. <laughs> Are you guys cool with this? The problem there is you assume that Stephen Tyler has uh, integrity as an artist, which. <laughs> No, it probably would have had to go past the other guys in the band. It probably, it probably would have been like, probably would have like, well, I don't know. Oh, wait, here's a check. Okay, great. Yeah, I don't know about that. All they had to do was cast his daughter, and then all of a sudden, don't want to miss a thing was okay. So, whew, Armageddon. Please don't make us watch that at any point. So, oh yeah, what? Why? Yeah, no, but no, but I think Nicole, did you put this in the docket? I did. Okay, so you're totally right, though. I mean, there's so much that this pulls from, and and I just don't. It doesn't necessarily feel derivative. It's like its own source of badness. Like it's, but it's just. I don't know. I mean, like, like, like I said, the beginning is essentially the same okay. as the Janie's Got a Gun out. video, and then the the Japanese castle thing. There's a lot of Lady Snowblood in that. Oh, really? Including the fact that Lady Snowblood is a sex worker. Oh, okay. or is the daughter of a sex worker? Anyway, um. So- so basically, also, this whole movie could have just been written by he fell asleep watching MTV one night, and yes, it, each time he opened Woke up his up eyes, it's like, bill. oh, and here's a here's something <laughs> with with Germans fighting, and, and he falls asleep again. And he wakes up, he's like, oh, here's here's some bomb movie, and he just didn't realize he'd been leaning on the remote to control the whole time, and right, it ended up just kind of landing on on FX, and that's how he just ended up watching half of these movies. Um, Spike yeah. TV. Yeah, Spike TV. Oh, man. Oh, Spike TV. This is so major. This, I mean, I'm pretty sure this movie ran on Spike <laughs> TV nonstop for. Uh, no, I will, I'm, the one, I'm the one that mentioned Jin Ro, and uh, it took me forever to remember the name of Jin Ro. <laughs> I don't know that I've actually seen that. Uh, it that? definitely, those, uh, look up Jin Ro, and you, it is the, the German mechanical soldiers are 100%. Oh, my God. Yeah. These are Wolfenstein dudes. Yep. Yeah. Okay, cool. Right on. Yeah, and then also, I think, man, the uh, the iRobot kind of robotties in the third sequence. And yeah, there's a lot. Not an original yeah. thought to be found. Yeah, yeah. 
This wasn't very good. I think we can probably stop. I think we can just just get off Google Hangouts now. Uh, <laughs> thank you, uh, audience, I suppose, for voting on this movie. Of course, if you follow us on Facebook and Twitter, you'll have the opportunity to uh, vote on all these other movies as they pop up, and we have voting for them. But let's go quickly around the table. Was there any redeeming value in watching this for anyone? Corey, what about you? Man, I really want to say that there was. I, I, I can't. I think that the the cast are all so good, and in so many other things where they are a lot better. That if you if this is your entry into finding these people and saying, "Oh, I'd like to see this person again. I'd like to see this person again," I don't know why you would walk away from this movie feeling that way. But they really are better actors and actresses than what you get here. So just go with that. Yeah, there's better movies to be watched. Uh, David, what about you? Uh, it's one of those movies that I kind of like, I'd meant to see it just because I have a friend that's obsessed with it. And also just kind of be like, all right, you know, th- now I can say I've seen Sucker Punch. And now I've seen Sucker Punch. <laughs> and Nicole. Uh, so it's, I think it's, there are two things that came out of it that I enjoyed. One was the, mecca with the pink rabbit on it um and the other one was seeing somebody not necessarily a scantily clad female but somebody with a sword take on like these giant japanese stone warriors in the snow in front of a cat japanese castle to army of me and that was that was cool but that's about it yeah (laughs) and john hammond guyliner and john hammond guyliner right yeah, I think for me, uh, I finally finished a movie. I started, let's see, it came out in 2011. It's when I was 15. Uh, <laughs> I finally finished it. I'd walked out of it, and I am, I I don't know if that was a bad decision. I, I think I probably could have just lived with seeing about 45 minutes of this movie. <laughs> I think I would have In, in the time travel relationship of your life, you will go back and tell your 50 year old self how right he was. <laughs> oh, man. This was. And how often do we get to do that? Exactly. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, uh, next time around, next week, we're doing New to Two, so be sure to join us for the informant, the Matt Damon flick. But uh, let's go around the table one more time about where we can find everybody online. Corey, you are a wonderful guest. Thank you for joining us. Where can people connect with you online? You know, I'm not really doing a lot of social media stuff right now. I'm I'm, I'm on Facebook because that's where family and stuff is. I re-opted into my Twitter um, but I don't utilize those things. I'm trying to find that live journal experience that I had way back when, probably way before this movie came out. Uh, so pillowfort.io slash Captain Temerity. Right on. There'll be a link wow. in our uh, show notes. <laughs> Interesting. Very good. Uh, David, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me on the Brokebot Mountain podcast and around the internet under the username Davluz. That is D-A-V-L-U-Z. So Twitter and Instagram, you can find me there. Very good. And Nicole? I shepherd our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Podcast. I don't really tweet right now. I need to catch up on Letterboxd. I'm on Imager a lot, but I don't post very much. So uh, that's that's about it. Pretty much go, go find our Facebook page and you can, you know, I monitor that pretty closely. So if you ever have any questions or you want to reach out to us or you want to suggest a movie to us or what have you, please do. I would be very happy to talk with you about it. You can find me, Brett Stewart, 
at I am Brett Stewart on Twitter. We'll see you next week with the informant. Mm-hmm.